Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. Check. Here we go. Stories are soul food still. They still are soul In food. In a world where stories are soul <laughs> food. Yes. One boy and one girl. <laughs> Unite. In a world. <laughs> Defeat. Okay. Yeah, I can do that one and a mattress salesman. Those are the two radio voices I have. I can do in a world and I can also do everything must go, go, go. <laughs> everything must go. Set go, your go, sleep go. level now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stories are soul food. Welcome back. It's Andy Wilson. That would be me. And yeah. Brian Cole over there me. to my right. Brian Cole. He's on my right because I'm deaf in my left. The and w- headphones wouldn't work well, the one eared, to solve that problem. The one-eared wonder. They would work. That's a joke. Headphones would work just fine. I could be over there. It'd be fine. We could switch sides. But we don't. This is how we do it. I instinctively sit with people to my right because of my deafness now, even if I have headphones that account for it. But stories are soul food. Deafness doesn't matter right now. And Only today, stories matter. We are talking about specters. Yes. Phantasms. Phantasms, ghost stories. Yeah. So... Which would be like family horror, child horror, yeah, uh, all the way up to adult horror. But the the use of the supernatural, undead, yeah, or and we could talk about zombies too. I mean, it's it's kind of kind of similar. A grab bag. When and really the the conversation, uh, Christian parents can end up stuck in in positions of, well, just doubt, self doubt of should you be reading that? Should we be? Yeah. Should we be imagining this? Should we be? Should we be really entertaining these these curiosities? And what's the big difference between using ghosts and using orcs, you know, goblins? Yeah. If I can use goblins, if I can use orcs, can I use dead people? Yeah. Haunting. Well, we have one ghost in the Bible, right? Just one? So yeah, we, we have... have a ghost, Well, but it depends on what you think happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. Ooh, okay. I wasn't referring to that one. I was referring to old dead Samuel. Yeah, old dead Samuel, which of Endor. Okay. But then you also have, you have people true. interacting. With, Moses and Elijah now, have passed. But here's the question with them. Are they in fact, is, is that, a, is that a, a haunting, meaning a spectral haunting, where they're immaterial, but visible somehow? A spirit has returned to this earth or, after its death. Yeah, or are they actually physical? Were they incarnate? Were oh, they, don't you have a time theory with this one? I do. I do have a time theory with that one. Okay, and let's it, hear it's, it. We've talked about it before, but that's um, basically, I think there's a chance, and I stole this from my brother-in-law, I think it wouldn't surprise me, let me put it that way, it would not surprise me if Moses was in the flesh before his death, actually, meeting on the Mount Sinai with uh, the oh, Lord. okay, because he came down with he the came glowing down shining. Face. So okay. did he, he met with God, did he go up on the mountain and actually meet with Christ? Where Christ was in a different, you know, he was different spot in time, and yet the two met there, converged. I that wouldn't surprise me. I'm not advocating for that, by the way. It's you, just, you're just saying it's something to I'm be. I'm just thought saying of. that your imagination should should not be so tight that you pull a hamstring even thinking about that. You right? Need, we're you not need to we're not, not realist scientists. Yeah. So in that, if that if it turned out that to be the, that was the case, you went to heaven and you discovered, wow, Moses, while he was still on Earth, went up on Sinai. And God pierced the space-time continuum in such a way that he met with Christ, who was transfigured, 
that shouldn't blow your mind. That would, that would be very wild and exciting, but it's not any more wild than God saying, let there be light and there being light. Or the existence of Christ yeah, himself the, in the, the first the place. Incarnation, <laughs> you know, the, the infinite word being made flesh. So just know that your imagination needs to be limber. You need to be limber when you're actually reading scripture and so on. So if we're talking about ghost stories, haunting stories, I don't think it is out of bounds. I do not think that it is out of bounds to tell ghost stories, to read ghost stories, or be interested in ghost stories, or to utilize ghosts as a device, you know, as a trope in a story. I just am not drawn to them. And I think that they entice the imagination into unhealthy directions often. Mm. So you're saying it's not even a fantasy. A ghost story isn't, or it's, it's, yeah, it's it at least be, real enough. It can become fantastical. So we have, we know that the Witch of Endor had a familiar spirit. She had a little imp, a little demon that she used to fool people into thinking that she had summoned back the dead. Okay. And she had not. And okay, so, so she, you don't think it was really the ghost of Samuel? Oh, I do. But I think that she was quite astounded. Oh, I see. So she had a little familiar spirit that she used to con people. She had a little demon that she worked with functionally. And so Saul goes, he wants to talk to Samuel. and she goes to do her regular con, which is still a supernatural con. Right. You know, I think she had a, a supernatural con going on and then Samuel himself showed up and she was terrified. Then right. It, you know, so. Because right away she fell down and she realized she's yeah, talking so to Saul. She, she, yeah, so she was, she knew that her little trick had jumped the shark and she was in trouble. That Samuel was here and she was in big trouble. That is a ghost story, but it's also a particular kind of Basically, it's a ghost story. It's the kind of occult fixation and fascination that we see now among you know different pockets of society getting punked. Mm. It's God punking it with the actual ghost of Samuel, as opposed to this is the normal way we should be functioning. It's very much a you do not want to do this. This is terrifying kind of a thing. So I would never deny the existence of ghosts. I would never deny the existence of, uh, you know, the supernatural, of course. Right. And I think that when we get into writing stories with ghosts or reading stories with ghosts, we should know we're still in the real world. And so there has to be respect shown. Yeah. And if you want to write fantasy, you need to kind of jump a little more, a little more. Gotcha. Jump a because little farther. So like great divorce is a ghost story. Right. And yet the whole world jumped, you know, we're off in Greytown and it's this whole big, you know, imagination station and there's tons of ghosts everywhere and they're referred to as ghosts. Oh, uh, but it's so different. It's not him trying to scare you with a story of somebody else is actually in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause the spirit, we all have spirits yeah. and in, in the old Testament, we do know that the spirits went somewhere to wait. Yep. For, for the coming of the Messiah. Yep. And some of them are waiting for good stuff to happen. Some of them are waiting for real bad stuff to happen. And, I, and after, the, after Jesus came, we now know from Paul that we go to stay in heaven, you know, to be absent yeah. from the body is present with the Lord. So you would yep. not, so nowadays Samuel would not be coming back, I would think, because he's in heaven, you know, at the, right. in, the, in the mansion, in the way house. Right. But yeah. in the Old Testament, you have some, it's a bit more of the Wild West. There's because a bit more of a holding tank is what you're saying. Yeah, and you're distinguishing between. But we don't actually know. We really don't know 
right what god allows yeah that's true i, you know, I should have on, on the other that. side and we don't know how physical those beings are but are they throwing by trying to mess with us or trying to mess with this world they're trying to they're throwing a shadow are we actually interacting with the shadow mm. of the being or the being of the more physical being yeah we don't know we just don't know and i would say that i like the use of ghosts in different ways whether it's in I mean, you think about Hamlet, <laughs> you know, it's like an all time great ghost. Yeah. Right? So and you go like, here's a ghost. It's, but the whole story is not about the ghost. Yeah. There's a, the, a ghost shows up and is used as a device. The ghost of Samuel shows up, you know, with the witch of Endor Saul story in the old Testament. So we know it happens. You know, we know it's rare enough that a witch who trafficked in ghosts was astonished when it actually happened. And anybody who is not going to put their fingers in their ears and yell la 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 knows that there are actual hauntings and there are right. supernatural situations and that they they can be spooky yeah. and that believers don't need to be frightened yeah you know it's like because ultimately we have the holy ghost we are inhabited we are possessed by the holy spirit and so right. the, in that possession in being fully possessed by god that is not we're not vulnerable we I just, think we just are not vulnerable to that stuff and we shouldn't be fixated by it or creeped out by it. And I do think that people who are fascinated by haunting stories and do deep dives in haunting stories, just like if they get do deep dives in demonology and, and demon possession stories, even while well, we have lots of demon possession stories in the New Testament, people who are drawn to that genre and hang out in that genre, there, there is a problem there. So there's generally a little bit of an imaginative fixation that's not going to be healthy and yeah need, can we talk need, some more and they need to be taken to sunnier pastures <laughs> you know? yeah okay so you're thinking that's an error of focusing on something to to it or eating too much of one thing is that what you think or do you yeah. think it's more of an unhealthy like you like a bad thing so if somebody tells me you know my 14 year old just really loves black coffee i'm like oh interesting that's not normal mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not, I don't have like alarm bells going off, <laughs> but it's my 14 year old loves black coffee. I'm like, oh, okay. And then that's odd, but I kind of move on. It doesn't, it doesn't pop concern. But if they then say, yeah, they actually drink six quarts of black coffee a day, I would then say, yeah, okay, like we need to, yeah, you know, we need to change this. This, this needs to change. There's an issue there. And this is that kind of a thing. Chicken is great, but if you tell me your child will only eat chicken fingers and only does eat chicken fingers, then I have a concern. I have a problem. So, chicken, yeah, chicken tendies aren't that good. Yeah, and so that actually that's where I would put kids who will only read books about talking animals. And I've I've met a ton of them. I've met parent a lot of parents who'll be like, yeah, my my child will only read books about talking animals. It's like, that's your kid telling me that they will only eat chicken tenders. They need to broaden out their diet. Their imagination needs more. The entire device behind this podcast of stories being food, stories being soul food, means you need to actually get a full and complete nutritious diet. You should not be isolating yourself into your tastes, your specific tastes. Having favorites is great, but isolating yourself and narrowing yourself down to specific tastes and only ever living there and ingesting there is a, is a problem. And so I think that kids who are fascinated by ghost stories and by the dead, that often comes from a weird place in terms of like the loss of a pet or 
a grandparent or, you know, there's, there's something that it marked them heavily in their imagination, in their life. So it can be the loss of somebody close to them. It can be the loss of something they loved. And so they, they can get hung up on it, or it can be a resentment. It can be the fruit of a resentment of light. Yeah. So they don't, it's not just that they like black coffee. It's that they don't like sunshine. Yeah. They're that person who starts to say, I hate sunshine. And we all know you must not hate sunshine. You may not be that person. Right. Um, well, I think it does seem like the ghost story can, it's really powerful only if you don't believe in the existence of the spiritual. <laughs> so, cause it, that seems to be the main device for the ghost story is that you run into somebody who says, Hey, there's nothing outside. It's the crass materialist who then all of a sudden has to go test out this house. It's like, right. a go, it's always the ghost buster who goes to find out what the house is haunted. And I honestly, even though I'm not a huge huge charles dickens fan uh the christmas carol is a very famous ghost story and most people don't even think of it as a ghost story but that's what it is so it's a, a person who is in the boat that you just described who needs their imagination broadened yeah and ghosts are sent to broaden scrooge's perspective and it's done in quite a sentimental way but it's still you know three ghosts come and his blinders are taken off and his eyes are opened and he, he sees the world differently when he's done. And so that, like, I don't think it doesn't even bother me slightly. That part that the use right. of ghosts there doesn't bother me at all. Not in the least bit. When we get into somebody who is going to wake up a materialist or something like this. And actually as a side note, well, here's a, here's a funny, funny thing. In my personal experience, this is not anything more than anecdotal. In my personal experience in talking to atheists, just in my circle, people who are not atheists by default or just apathetic secularists who've never thought of it. That's most professional Americans, but a lot of them, I should say, not most. Atheists who say, there is no God. This is all the result of an explosion. I have thought it through. This is my conclusion. This is my firmly held belief. There is no God. Every one of them that I've talked to in my personal relationships has believed in ghosts and demons. Wait, what? Yeah. How does that follow? It doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't but follow. Fact, but the fact is you can't look at a butterfly and believe in butterflies and think there is no God either. So the fact that they will say, yeah, this exists, the world exists, the sun exists, butterflies exist, and there is no God, that's a contradiction. It's no more of a contradiction than demons are real and there is no God. And so it, but it is a contradiction and it's silly. It's totally silly. <laughs> What do you think that is? Is it an imaginative, uh, an imaginative key that you know there's some? You know, yeah. I think they they absolutely know that the material world is not all there is, but to affirm the existence of God would require them to be a grateful to Him and b obey Him, and the existence of ghosts and demons does not necessitate doesn't that. It doesn't so require them to do anything. It doesn't drop the same nickel that the existence of God does which is, it's pretty wild. But then you have, you have guys who are consistent. There are consistent ones who will, consistent materialists like Christopher Hitchens was this way where he would just, he was smart enough to know he had to maintain. Right. You're just molts. There's nothing. There's nothing. Uh, and then every now and then he would, uh, actually in one conversation with him, he did talk to me. It's like, well, if there is something like that, then it's, it's, there's a material explanation for it. It's a material. Oh, for sure. Thing. That's what I was going to say. The PhD can then spend their whole yeah. life writing about so, how there's. 
in my sideshow weird skeleton in my closet world of studying this route of Turin, I was in Italy meeting with like a Mythbuster guy, a professor, an Italian professor, who considered he was an atheist, and he was fully aware and believed in specifically in Wills o the Wisp, Will of the Wisps. Okay. Now, anybody who doesn't know what a Will of the Wisp is, it is a cold fire that is often seen wandering graveyards. Right. Okay. And lead you astray kind of, right? They yeah. blink on and out. Yeah. But the, the point is that these have been seen enough and documented enough that he knew he was not going to deny that this had happened, that this was in fact a thing. So what this guy did, named Luigi. <laughs> was his name really? Luigi? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I like Funny it. little guy. I liked him. Uh, he lived in Pavia, Italy. Uh, he made himself a vacuum cleaner and he went and hung out in graveyards at night and staked out graveyards because he was going to find one and vacuum it up oh. and take it back to his lab and test what it was made of. So interesting. And then, <laughs> I love that. I love that setup. That's a fantastic. Yeah. So Luigi was going to run, see what he's going to see some cold fire in a graveyard floating above the, the graves. And so he's going to run over and suck it up into his vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then go do a chemical analysis in his l laboratory in order to discern what material phenomenon it actually was because he was a he was a committed materialist and so, so it had thought, to be material if this is a material phenomenon and so i'm going to go slurp it up in my vacuum and, yeah. then, and then i'll come back and tell you what it is and the fact and i told him I was like a if it is immaterial you're going to fail to suck it up but also if it's interacting with the material world it could have a material footprint that you could slurp up and then you'd make the fallacy of composition by saying that these things that I slurped up are only yeah they are the will of the wisp it'd be like grabbing one of the pigs in the story of legion and saying see demons are pigs you know it's mm. like okay well if it actually is creating light and interacting with the world yeah in the material world then there's going to be some kind of material disruption there's going to be a material right. presence which is not the same thing as the thing itself so even Bill Murray would know you need a very special vacuum. Very special vacuum. You got to really, really seal that vacuum well if you're going <laughs> to slurp up spirits. Anyway, the, the point is the world Did is- Did he get one ever? No. No. The yeah. world is complicated. It's a complicated place. Right. And it's way more complicated than we want it to be. And we really like the comfort of behaving like materialists. It makes us very uncomfortable. We do. I think that's yeah. why I get the thrill of when you talk about will of the wisps. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, and even though my entire life is predicated on the belief and, <laughs> and, and the fact that, you know, yeah, that's what we are is we're soul and body. Yeah, we have a spirit. <laughs> there are plenty of stories that, I mean, well, it's pretty obvious that the world's not a materialistic place. It is not a material world. But we function like it is. Even believers go through life functioning like it is and shouldn't. But we do. And it's comfortable because we, we really are made uncomfortable thinking that there's something that we cannot sense. That there are beings influencing the world around us or watching us or, or hating us or punking us. And we cannot sense them. We hate that. It makes us very uncomfortable. So I don't know what I'd be scared of. I was, I was in a really old house in Annapolis, Maryland by myself sitting down in the living room. I lived there and suddenly there was a big like 
crash on the ceiling above me and you know, a big loud crash. And then the sound of something very heavy being dragged across the floor. And it lasted for a while. <laughs> Scary. And it lasted for long enough for me to run upstairs and open the door of the room above that living room where I'd been sitting to see what was going on. Like I was like, I thought somebody had broken in and was stealing stuff. And I ran up there to throw the door open and it's a car, there's a big rug on the floor. There was, there was no way something heavy could have been dragged across a hard surface, which is what the sound was. And there was nothing that had fallen over. There was nothing. I'm just in a very old house. Now, afterwards, I was like, huh. And I went back downstairs and kept reading because I don't think that the world is material place. And whatever was going on there was no threat to me. You yeah. know, it's like, it's not something I'm, I'm worried about. You weren't trying to conjure it up. <laughs> no, it's kind of, well, I don't know. And there, and there's tons of explanations for stuff like that that don't make sense, but they don't have to be materialistic. I'm not a materialist. And so there right. may or may not be willow the wisps. You know, there are, there's a different phenomenon that when you, in some ponds, if you have like a big silty mucky bottom, you can get out in the middle of a still pond and shove your oar into the mud and, you know, stir it and release a bunch of gas that's been trapped under there and have fire erupt out of the water. And you can have just sort of like, the, you know, a flame go and be gone. It's like, and that's chemical, mm -hmm. you know, but if you saw it, you know, for the first time, it would be pretty freaky on a camping trip. And you would for sure think it's spiritual. Something's going on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there are material explanations for things that have freaked people out, like eclipses. And there are also no material explanations for things that we all take for granted, like the tides. So there's wow. just, there is just no materialistic way to fully explain that. We've just named it gravity. Yeah, is that what we you have, mean? We have a name. Somehow the moon pulls the ocean. Yeah? What does it grab? Like, what is it hanging on to? What is it, what is it pulling? With what is it pulling? And upon what is it pulling? Where are the handles? Like, there's no question that there's a correlation. There's no question that the moon and the tides are all synced up. And, you know, we can anticipate the tides based on the behavior of the moon. So, you know, it appears to be causal. Hmm. But we do not yet have the understanding. So you'd say then Einstein's not actually, he's describing still. Yeah, we're, we're so describing the, stuff. You know, describing it. There's no explanation. It's a theory of relativity. There's no explanation that we can currently comprehend for gravity. Right. So we can clock it. We can anticipate it. We can, so it's very consistent. And so we, it, it obviously is ruling the material world. And we can, you know, go off of mass and using mass, we can calculate gravitational pull and its effect on things. So it's obviously deeply interwoven with the material world, but it's more, there's something weirder than that going on. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. And I'm comfortable with that. Magnets are also that way. <laughs> you know, just like these, there are plenty of things that are that way. The fact that none of your, none of your atoms are touching each other at all is bizarre that you are mostly in every physical thing that exists is mostly emptiness. You know, it's mostly electrons moving at almost the speed of light with vast emptiness in between uh, them and the actual center of that little atom. Yeah. So doesn't, shouldn't freak us out. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, right. But there's tons of stuff like that. So when we get into a fascination with spooky chain rattling, scary dead people that are here to haunt us, 
it it does show a certain proclivity that is best not entertained. Right. So when I was the kid at the library and there's that roller, what's the revolving bookcase of R.L. Stein goosebumps sure. stories. My mom was always like, eh, nah, don't get those. Yep. And I've never regretted it. But, right. But I, it seemed, yeah. it, when it, you're little and you have a certain, like, do you want to feed that aspect? And do you need to? There are kids who need that. I will absolutely say. Who probably there, need to be scared. There are kids who are super analytical, instinctive materialists, and they need they need some of those stories. Mm. I was, my imagination never lacked for, <laughs> for big, spooky, creepy, like things beyond our comprehension. That was never a problem for me. And so I didn't need to really overly feed that, you know, the Christmas Carol and Hamlet more, were more than sufficient. Actually. Also the Odyssey. I was going to say the Old Testament, the Odyssey is a big one. The Old Testament was more than sufficient. Right. To, uh, you know, Pharaoh's magicians versus Moses, et cetera were more than sufficient to keep my imagination firing on all of those cylinders. I didn't need some old woman in a nightgown who's see-through, you know, wailing at yeah. me from the back porch. <laughs> you know, like yeah, it wasn't right. It wasn't important. So I, I basically think a lot of Christians just instinctively rule them out. We're not going to do those. We're not going to read those stories. And then I also read some Frank Peretti for kids when I was little. Yeah, and no, really me too. And really enjoyed it. And like, and he definitely goes that direction. Uh, if you read Dean Koontz now, you know, he, he uh, like the odd, uh, what is it? Odd Thomas? I'm trying to, I think he's the. Uh, is that right? I think. I brother, think... brother odd or whatever. I don't remember. I should know. We can throw it in the show notes. Yeah. If you read Dean Koontz, he's got the, this short order cook in a diner who can see demons following people, which means he can anticipate when bad things are coming. And so he's kind of this. Yeah. You know, he's this odd character. Yeah. I thought it was a fun, it was a really fun lake house read. Gotcha. Like, oh, that was, that was interesting. I wouldn't want to just read there and read there and read there and read there any more than I want to drink buckets of black coffee. Or read tons and tons of romance. The, yeah, that, exactly. Kind of there, you can yeah. read a great Jane Austen novel and say, man, that was fantastic. And then you can also have a daughter or a son who gets just absolutely fascinated or a grandmother who just starts pumping through romance novels. And you need to say, you know what, let's. We should get a little roughage in this diet. We need to yeah. we need to not just eat Cool Whip out of the fridge with a spoon. Yeah, we need to we need to do more than that. I think the putting on the, the editorial hat. It seems like a ghost becomes such a helpful symbol, or yeah, that it that it becomes a symbol for sin in a way that you know you have to work pretty hard to develop another one. So Lady Macbeth's bloody hands become a great symbol for guilt. But a ghost almost instantly becomes that symbol. Yeah, it's it can guilt. be very, and that's one of the. I'm very comfortable with ghosts symbolically. It's when you start writing stories that are, you know, the the, the equivalent of true crime, because mm, I actually think that right. true crime is another example of something that can be really dangerous. That's a the, great. That's a great observation. You know, to the imagination where it's. You know, I have no problem with the use of criminals or crime or even basing stuff off truth, but true crime can draw people into a sort of vice tourism, you know, this vice tourism that enables you to be that rubbernecker staring at the brokenness of the world and being fixated with sin and brokenness. And yeah. I haven't, angry. I haven't seen the Bundy Netflix documentary, but some of the vibes that I got from the previews about that one felt similar. Yeah, it's like it's such a like you can't look away from this, right? Because you are broken too, and so people are going to get pulled in, and a lot of people do. 
I, that doesn't mean that true crime is immoral to write. It doesn't mean that it's immoral to read. There can be plenty of good uses for it. But as a genre where people exist, where they just, you know, yeah. they're just there. Yeah. This guy killed nine women in and this now particular let's, way. And now let's describe very, very graphically how it all went down and how right. they were tied and everything else. And it's it, like, what is the healthiness there? Where, what's the, what food are you getting and how are your muscles and bones and your imagination right. being, becoming stronger and how is your, how's your soul being fed? It all, is, it is like, being fed something. You cannot read a story or watch a story without your soul being fed. You are being fed. And there's plenty of super sentimental people who are, it's always jello salad. And there's plenty of people who only want darkness. Yeah. The jump scene, you know, it's just like a roller yeah. coaster. I know people who like that drop feeling. Yeah. And a jump scene in a movie has its place. Yep. Absolutely. For sure. It does. And I prefer the boiling tension as opposed to the, the jump. Right. You know, I prefer the velociraptors uh, claws tapping. Yeah. Yeah, the the tight on the raptor's claws in Jurassic Park tap tap tapping. Right. I prefer that to when the kids are climbing through the ceiling and the raptor jumps after them just as the kids pull away and the whole audience flinches back. <laughs> but I completely respect that jump and I think it's great. I think it's used in a great way. It's just the kind of tension I prefer. You know, my taste preference is is over at the at the stressful tension piece yeah. as opposed to the jump. But it's, it, if you think of stories as food, and that, that is the beating heart of what we're trying to say in every single episode, then you have to ask, is this a healthy diet? And if it's an unhealthy diet, what does it reflect about the inadequacies of the reader? And how can those be addressed? Yeah. And, you know, and what's it going to do to you? What will it do to you if you only read true crime? What will it do to you if you only read romance novels? Right. What will it do to you if you only read ghost stories and a particular kind of ghost stories, that kind of occult tourism uh, thing where you're not. Yeah. As we're heading toward Halloween, we know exactly that kind of. Yeah. And I hate it. You yeah, know, it's guts gross. Halloween, <laughs> Halloween stories are not my jam at all. And, um, you, you. and it's, it's not to say, I mean, I, it's because I believe. It's because I believe that those creatures are real, which I can circle by and poke the, poke the gorilla one more time and just say It's almost that. like if you just wrote a million stories about lions eating people, <laughs> you'd, just, right? you'd, just, you'd just be bored of it. That movie Ghost in the Darkness yeah. is a great movie. It's the only one you need. <laughs> yep. And then you're like, okay. <laughs> like, I watched a lion eating people. Yep. It was scary. That was terrifying. And what a wild thing that that was a true story-ish, yeah. true-ish story. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's insane. But there, there are people who really, it comes down to just broaden your diet. I mean, it's that simple. Yeah. And, and ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Is it a form of vice tourism? Is this you being a non-materialistic true crime enthusiast where you're, you want to read about the constant crimes of immaterial beings yeah, as opposed to the crimes of material beings, get some sunshine, like just get out in the sun. Of uh, you need the other kind of story too. Like it's those the are the same thing. A parent being like, "Hey, try the steak. You're gonna like the steak better than the hamburger." Take take a bite. And actually, I don't even care if you're gonna like it better. You need to do this. Mm. Uh, I, there's plenty of times with little kids I've said that. Like this right. is no. You need. We're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep broadening. You are gonna taste the salad with the salad dressing. You are actually gonna eat these things. And it's a gift from me to you that you're not gonna be that narrow, horrible person. 
who can't stand sauce. That's for yeah. my kids. My kids are anti-sauce. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to be that narrow, horrible person. I, this is me as a parent being kind to you. So this is not me saying I am surly and I microwaved green beans. And so you're going to eat them. Darn it. <laughs> this is me saying you will not be picky. You will not be trapped inside pickiness. Cause you know what? That's not a fun place to be. You know, people who are really, really picky and do not have the ability to not be, it's not fun. That's horrible. Yeah. yeah it's really unpleasant living there. And so as parents, you can, you can keep people from cut that off at the pass a little bit, which is great. So ghost stories, if you're, if you are reveling in the yuck, if you're reveling in the, in the brokenness of the world, then you need to move on. That's what it comes down to. If you're yeah. reading Hamlet and you love the device and you love the symbolic device of this. Ghost, and you'd like a big argument about whether it's a demon or has real, yeah. a real ghost. Jump in. I'm reading the Odyssey and you go down and you're talking to Tiresias in the underworld. Like, that's great. I actually think it's a great use of the underworld and the dead in that epic. Probably shaped every ghost story up till now. Yeah. Uh, that one plus the Old Testament. Yep. And I actually, even there, I think that there's, uh, well, I won't, I won't get into this. I think there's things there that are untapped that I still intend to tap at some future date in a story. But um, In the Odyssey or Old Testament? From the Odyssey. Odyssey. So in the Odyssey, in terms of what is the physicality, what is the, the physical appearance of a, of a ghost? Mm. So what do you, if you're Luigi and you run up to one of the vacuum, what are you going to get? When you slurp it up. <laughs> no, okay. Anyway, don't get narrow and don't become narrow in such a way that you're actually feeding a weakness in yourself. Yeah. So that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Don't feed weakness in yourself. So no vice tourism, no occult tourism, no fixation with darkness, but don't just rule them out either because Samuel shows up in the Old Testament. You don't get to do that. Yeah. Assume them like the lions. So in conclusion, be wise like Solomon. <laughs> That's Until awesome. next week. This episode has been brought to you by New St. Andrews College. Over the last century and a half, American tyrants have been carrying out a slow, methodical disarmament that no one is talking about. State education. If you want your student to mature in their faith, be armed for battle, and equipped to fight tyranny, apply at nsa.edu slash fall2022. That's nsa.edu slash fall2022.